it's time for some podcast reviews. This review is from Aquins. Truly inspiring and uplifting women's podcast. Listening to each episode makes you feel empowered. Thank you for empowering women. Thank you so much, Aquins. Ever find yourself in the habit loop of self-sabotage or people-pleasing or struggle to let go of the past or setting boundaries? Well, I'm about to give you guys the best news ever. You are not alone. You see, the more I do this show, the more I realize just how many of us struggle with these issues. So it's important to have the actual skills that are needed to change them, to stand up and fight the fight. Because it is one thing to watch this show and empower you to feel like a badass who can take on the world. And it's a whole other thing to know how to actually fight. So today's Women of Impact is here to show us the moves, to show us exactly how to block and tackle, not theoretical strategies, but actual step-by-step game plan on what to say, do, and ask yourself when you find yourself on your knees, ready to throw in the towel. A psychotherapist, PhD researcher, doctoral candidate, and a trauma-informed clinician who specializes in areas of trauma, abuse, identity, relationships, and anxiety, she's definitely someone I want in my corner. The millennial therapist, Sarah Kubrick. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction and thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Oh my God, me too. Searching through your content, I was literally like a kid in a candy store. And so where I want to start, and I mentioned it in the intro because it was so powerful, is I want to talk about self-sabotage. So Mm. first of all, explain to me, why on earth do we self-sabotage? What do we get out of it? And then I want to break down that you very eloquently have expressed in different types of ways that we self-sabotage. And some of them I never would have thought would be considered a self-sabotage. So yeah. So self-sabotage, there are just so many reasons why we might do it. Um, And a lot of them we're not aware of. That's what makes self-sabotage so difficult to to spot and to change. Um, I think a lot of the times it does come back to the premise that we don't think we deserve better than what's happening to us. And we sabotage as a means of keeping the status quo and giving ourselves what we think we deserve. And that's a pretty hard truth (laughs) because it's hard to say, oh, I'm not accomplishing these things. I'm having unhealthy relationships. But it's actually because I might believe that I don't deserve anything better. And so I think that's like one of one of the main reasons for self-sabotage. Another is lack of self-awareness. We're not aware that we're self-sabotaging. That's kind of the other coin. And that's, again, a really difficult one. You're not realizing that the patterns that you're in reenacting with your partner are actually ruining the relationship. Um, and so I think that that's an important one of sitting there with yourself and going, Am I doing this out of place of respect and value and because I believe I deserve good things? It's really tied in with with the with number one, which is do I deserve good things? And so I think self-awareness, um, what we deserve, um, and focus on instant gratification. Um, sometimes we're kind of like a kid in a candy store and we get really distracted. Like, oh, I thought I wanted gummy bears, 
But there are these sour keys sitting right there and I can have them right now. And so what we'll do is we'll self-sabotage, but not because we hate ourselves, but because we're trying to give something to ourselves in maybe a less healthy way. Yeah, I love that example because that is such a common one, right? Where people, they take the instant gratification over the long-term benefit. So let's take a bowl of ice cream, right? I freaking, that is my jam, that is my dessert. Sadly, it upsets my digestion, but I love ice cream so much. But I recognize that it is, you know, let's say in a moment of upset or turmoil, a lot of us turn to food to help. Um, in that moment, it doesn't feel like self-sabotage, right? In that moment, it feels like you're actually helping yourself. And I'm listening to my body. I'm giving myself what I want. But how do you then in that moment, how do you assess that? How do you say, okay, I feel like I want this. But in the long term, it's actually a self-sabotage. And how do I make the decision on whether to do it or not do it? Yeah, it's a great question. A tough one. Um, I think it comes down to preferences versus needs. A lot of the times, for example, let's take the ice cream. Is it something you need mm. <laughs> or something you want? And is there a need that would be trumped by this preference? There's also a hierarchy of needs, a hierarchy of values. It, it's actually quite a complex process that we go through in our mind by going, okay, it's fulfilling this need right now, but there's a larger need that won't be met as a consequence. Mm. Or it's fulfilling this value of fun, but it's not fulfilling the value of taking care of my body. And so what we have to be really aware of with instant gratification is what is our hierarchy of needs and values um, and then kind of weigh it because, as you said, it can be incredibly difficult. And sometimes instant gratification feels really empowering in that moment. You're like, I know what I want and I'm going to get it. Like, <laughs> fantastic. Um, it, but sometimes it's incredibly harmful and it is self-sabotage mm -hmm. because maybe you're too scared to want something else or maybe there's a much deeper need you don't think you can actually fulfill. And so you're just focusing on the one that you think you can't. Yeah, that's so true. And I love what you said earlier, where it does really come back to awareness, right? And so if I if I go to the bowl of ice cream and I assess, okay, I'm very aware, like I feel like I'm self-aware. I know I'm going for this bowl of ice cream as a momentary happiness. I know that it long-term isn't going to serve me. So I'm aware of that. Do you think that's a good strategy? And is there a danger to tricking yourself into believing it's a, I'm making a decision with a clear mind? Oh, mm. I still think it can be self-sabotage, even with clarity. We can justify it just about anything. <laughs> um, and I think that when we reenact patterns, we feel really in control. So the familiar. So, you know, I'm making this empowered decision to do this with my partner or with my friend or eat that bowl of ice cream and I'm very aware of the fact that I'm doing it and I'm so aware of it and that's when it can actually become really dangerous because you think that you're making this out of so much awareness and empowerment when in reality you might have some awareness but you're just reenacting an old pattern that feels safe because it's familiar. And it's so, so difficult and then when you add on the fact that maybe we've had this behavior modeled to us where we've grown up in families or, or seen friends or people we look up to choose instant gratification as a way of empowerment then it becomes really confusing sometimes what can be helpful is to go okay I'm going to play the devil's advocate because 
I am worried I'm falling into a pattern. So what is the argument against this? And then asking yourself, which one actually aligns more authentically? Which one actually aligns with the deeper needs, with the deeper values? And stopping yourself and actually having kind of this inner discussion, this inner dialogue can sometimes be the only thing to do in that moment because we're just so convinced. And if we know that being so convinced is part of our pattern, then we need to do something to throw ourselves off. That's awesome. I love that. That's so true. And you actually have a list on your Instagram about the seven reasons why we self-sabotage. And and the reason why I find that so fascinating, um, it's such a useful tool. Because as you were talking, I was thinking, you know what I could actually do is have your list next to me. And Mm -hmm. when in those moments I feel like I'm in control, maybe I can just go through your list and answer them in honesty. So for for the audience, I'd love to just read a few out that like really, I think we really help people so you put um, we don't believe we deserve better so ask yourself do you believe you deserve better we lack self-awareness we are focused on instant gratification we have seen self-sabotage modeled in our family why do you all of your Instagram posts all of the stuff that I've seen you do it's very tactical it's very ask yourself this or do x y and z what is it about using those strategies and having lists like that that you find helps other people? Yeah, there's no one solution for everybody. And I think it's so important to give people context and content that will help them be curious about themselves. And so when I say think about these things or hear things you can think about, that is going to help you get to a conclusion that is very right for you. I don't want to impose a reason why you self-sabotage because I don't know. So what I'm going to do instead is give you a couple options and maybe something will resonate. Maybe it'll be a combination of both. So it's really just to spark interest in your own mental health. I'm not there to tell you this is your experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then does this still resonate with me? And a lot of my posts, it's like, would this help me? (laughs) Does resonate with me? Does this move me? Is this something that's relevant? I won't post about certain topics because they're not topics that genuinely move me. I think they're important, but I also think it's important to write about something that deeply resonates with you and something that you've thought about a lot. And so I also have that little check of like, I write it in a way that it's also very speaks to me and the way that I think. And I know that won't work for everybody, but I thought having that authenticity piece in the way I write was important and seemed to resonate with people, which was really, really cool to see. Yeah, and I want to take that even a step further then and ask you, is that why you do hard truths? Because you're the type of person that needs those blatant, those hard truths said to you. Yeah, totally. And I think it's the way that I... Um, also function in therapy sometimes where it's there's so much safety and compassion but sometimes we need to collaborate and come to the hard truth that maybe is not being seen Um, and I find those moments so therapeutic so amazing so healing that I realized hey hard truths don't have to be harsh truths (laughs) they don't have to be done in a way that's that's damaging But I think all of us sometimes need those aha moments. And this is where that kind of came from, where I realized how beneficial it was in my own life, in therapeutic settings to have that safety, but then come to a truth. Because I think a lot of our suffering comes from avoiding truth or not being aware of the truth. Yeah. And in fact, there's two types. So if, how do you 
Leave yourself open to hearing the hard truth without it denting your ego or your self-esteem. And then the other side is how do you approach someone and give them a hard truth? And when is a good time and when is definitely a bad time? Because I've definitely found myself trying to, you know, maybe people in my life help, coach, you know, send them videos, stuff like that. And then eventually it gets to the point where they're not improving. Maybe they're not acting on wanting to improve. And that's where I feel like I just need to be tell them the hard truth but sometimes it doesn't go down well so um so there's two parts to it. how do you open yourself up let's address that and then let's address the other side yeah so it's asking if you're willing to dwell in the discomfort temporarily to grow and i don't think growth happens in comfort i think there has to be some level of discomfort and I don't think we can force ourselves to see the truth. I think we have to be ready to see the truth. I don't think we're not seeing the truth because we're trying to be difficult. I think it's because we don't feel safe enough to do so. So the question is, if you're avoiding a truth, what is a way you can feel safer, inner safety, environmental safety, whatever it is in that moment that can prime you to be open for it? Because again, I don't think we do these things to just intentionally harm. So it's important to go, okay, I'm resisting something and I'm aware I'm resisting something. I don't, they've said it, it doesn't really resonate. It triggers me. Okay. What do I need in this moment to be ready to receive something that I potentially might not want to be receiving or at least be open to it. And so I think it comes to those fundamental needs. And one of them oftentimes is safety. Do I feel safe enough in myself to be able to handle a truth about myself that I've been avoiding for the last 20 years? What would that do to my sense of self? So if I can't handle that and my sense of self will crumble, I will forever resist that truth because it's self-preservation. It makes sense. You're trying to love yourself and go, okay, this is not safe. And so I think there's a lot of back work to that of like, how can I handle actually facing these things without them making me spiral or crumble um, altogether? <laughs> Yeah. And how important is it then of somebody who is giving you that truth? I'd assume you'd have to really freaking trust them so you know that they don't have, let's say, an ulterior motive. But like, I think sometimes people are resistant to taking the truth from their spouse or a parent or a sibling or a friend. Um, how, do you have any advice on how to navigate and feel safe with somebody um, to be mm. able to discuss those hard truths? I mean, it comes to the relationship. Um, you either will feel safe enough in that relationship or you won't. Um, I think it's also an interesting dynamic of when is it our place to tell someone the hard truth and when is it not? Um, <laughs> what are our expectations in that conversation? Um, and so I feel like depending what the hard truth is, it's also not on us or we shouldn't impose that expectation on someone else that you need to change in this way because I thought, think you need to change in that way. So the way we phrase hard truths also have to be really, we need to be really careful because we're not trying to like change someone and give them a bunch of to do things so that they're better by our standards and then call it love mm. <laughs> and call it like, this is a truth you're not aware of. Like we need to be really careful about that because that's not what we're talking about. And so checking ourselves going, hey, why am I why am I having this conversation? Is this truly something they need to see and is it my place? Sometimes it is not our place to tell the hard truth. There's many times in my personal life where it's not my place to tell someone the hard truth, so I don't. Mm. 
Um, and I think the context really does matter. And so even if we think it's loving, we need to really check ourselves. Obviously, if it's very detrimental life or death, that is very, that's not what we're talking about here. But some truths are not meant to come from us. And this is where we really need to be aware of that. Sometimes we just hold them. And that's what we do till they come to that realization. We can't force the realization. It's not our place. Mm. Yeah, I want to read actually a couple of the hard truths that you've posted that I really freaking love. So believe people when they show you who they are. That's strong. Um, you've even actually written a list where you have like examples of if they say this, believe them. So it's, you know, they never want kids, believe them. They still have feelings for their ex, believe them. They get easily angry, believe them. They are judgmental, believe them. So like you've got this whole list. Why do we as humans not want to want to believe people when they say things like that? Oh, we, we want to have this, relationship that we project onto the person and anything about them that doesn't align with what we're hoping for is a threat. And so if I have always envisioned myself as having children and I am now in love and my partner says, I don't want children, I am now in a very awkward position where either I leave the person that I love or I have to reconcile the fact that I'm not going to have children. And instead of having to do that, we go, they will change their mind. And it's our way of trying to preserve the future we've envisioned to preserve the things that we love and hold so dear to us, which is usually people. Um, And that sometimes equates to us ignoring the things that they're telling us that would jeopardize that relationship. And I always tell people, you can't date potential. Like you're dating the... (laughs) Like there's no like can't hold hands with potential or the envisioned future. Like be ground in that reality and it's either going to work or it's not. And it's so painful for people, especially during that infatuation phase, particularly if we're talking about romantic relationships. The thing is the truth you don't want to see now you will see down the road. And most people will say, Oh, you know what? I saw it. Or I always tell couples, most of the time, the things you argue about the first three months is things you're going to argue about the next 10 years. And so we need to really accept people for who they are. Of course, we can support them to grow. And I think relationships, regardless of what type, are such a fantastic way for us to grow and help each other grow. But that can't be the expectation. You need to accept the person in the now. Yeah. So true. I mean, as you were talking, so I've actually been with my husband. We've been together for 19 years. We've been married wow. for 17. And people always ask, well, like, what's the secret? What's the key? And the truth is, on our very first date, I thought it was going to be a summer fling because I was living in America. Because, uh, you know, he lived in America and I lived in England. And I was just here for two months. He had just got out of a relationship. So he's like, this is amazing. She has to legally leave the country because her visa <laughs> expires in three months. I love that. And so what we did on our first day is unbeknownst to us, we were ourselves because we weren't trying to posture for maybe he's going to be the one. And I remember on that first day, he actually said to me, I don't know if I'm going to get married. It's never been a big deal to me. Um, Now, for me, I always wanted to get married, but it wasn't that I thought he's going to be the one I'm going to marry. So it was so I didn't 
care. It wasn't like, oh, I have to change his mind. Two months down the line, we're head over heels, and he was like, if I'm going to marry anyone, I'm going to marry you. So mm-hmm. it didn't even get to the point where, like you said, eventually we're going to find out who they really are. And the same with you, right? They're going to find out who you are down the road. So why not be that true self of yours? Um, that hit me so hard. So. Yeah, I feel like we're trying to avoid rejection a lot of the times, which is a very normal human kind of instinct. But rejection on your first date is going to hurt hell of a lot less than rejection three years down the road in the relationship. Um, and I feel like rejection might be the hard, harsh word here, but incompatibility, whatever it is. Um, we're also just building intimacy. And we're so scared of the little pain that we actually jeopardize being a lot more hurt and hurting the other person a lot more. So that's also the interesting psychology behind that of like, not instant gratification, but almost there's a bit of that of like, I'm just going to enjoy this, live in the moment. That's fantastic. You should be mindful, but (laughs) you should also be aware that your mindfulness and living in the moment has consequences. Mm. It's not consequence free. You're not just enjoying yourself and then you're going to, it's going to be the same if you leave now or leave a year down the road. Chances are it's going to be a lot more complex and a lot more hurtful. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is a negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, 
Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Yeah, you actually said, so another hard truth was, if you have a pattern of choosing emotionally unavailable partners, we should consider our own level of emotional availability. Um, Talk to me about that, because of course, again, like everything you say was absolutely mind-bogglingly true. I was very nervous posting that. (laughs) Really? Oh, you've got to tell me why. Sometimes I get nervous. I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's possible that people do push back a little bit when it's a truth they don't want to hear. And that's the same on the internet. Um, and so this is one of those posts where I was like, I hope this is okay. Like I ran and by someone and was like, how much, you know, do you think I'm going to get pushback? Because it is a hard truth. And I think it's not something that would make people feel great necessarily. Um, but I think it's true. And how safe would it be as an emotionally unavailable person to have someone who is emotionally available? How, how would we feel about being able to fulfill their expectations or meet them where they're at? That would be incredibly overwhelming, if not scary, and it might even feel violating if they're asking a degree of vulnerability we're not ready for. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just realize that if you're really connecting to partners who are emotionally unavailable, there might be a reason why you're doing that and why you haven't connected or have avoided connecting to someone who is emotionally available. It's not always, but I think it can, I mean, if we have any pattern in a relationship, at some point we go, well, we're the common denominator. (laughs) Like there has to be, you know, at some point we have to realize we do play a role in it. So let me be aware of like what I'm contributing and am I contributing to this pattern? Am I reflecting this pattern and what's happening there? So it's a, it's a bit of a self-awareness piece. Which I find so empowering, which is why I was like, why were you so worried about it? Because I really do believe and uh, feel to my core that when I can own something and I can say, wow, this is on me, it is so empowering because now I can do something about it. 100%. I totally agree with that. But I think you have to come to the point where you go, I'm going to own this. Yes. Instead of, oh, that might be true, but am I being blamed now for dating people that are emotionally unavailable? Like that's the step before. And Mm -hmm. this is where you can get pushback um, in general from anybody, like friends, family, whatever. I think when you're at the level of like, I'm going to own my shit, I think it's one of the most empowering things we can do. I love that you actually said though that that's a level below that because you're right in hindsight. You know, it's not like I started there. I was the person that absolutely was like, it's all them, it's all them, it's all them. Why can't I find a good guy? Like, I don't understand, right? Like, it's always on them. Um, then once it was like, oh, maybe, hey, Lisa, you're the common denominator. Maybe this is your fault. Then it becomes like, oh, that's such a dent to my ego. What do you mean? I'm always being nice to them. I'm giving them all this love and attention, right? That's like yeah. the next step. Um, and then eventually it becomes like, oh my God, this is my fault, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so it depends where people are at. And so with anything, it's just people will meet it where they're ready to meet it. And the hard truth will either feel empowering or it will feel that gutted feeling. And it really depends. And that's okay. It's great. If it does anything, I say if there's any motion, that's amazing. Uh, But people will definitely have different responses to anything anyone writes or posts. 
and actually I have the most wonderful Instagram community, like just the most supporting, loving individuals. And I didn't have any pushback. Um, but it's sometimes, you know, when you do present a truth, just like with anyone else, you're kind of half expecting like a bunch of comments to come in. Yeah. And then they're going to also like one element is what if they judge themselves, right? Which is, I think, typically what people do. It's like, this must mean I'm a bad person, a bad girlfriend, a bad husband, whatever that is. Um, And I think we need to eliminate that judgment. Absolutely. And I think with posts like this, you're always trying to make sure that you have a caption or that you explain that piece because it's the point is not for you to blame or judge yourself ever that's not it it's just to have a bit more awareness and be gracious with yourself and go hey maybe this is something I can work on or look into it's not about blame and I think um, that's a really important thing to figure out with the self-awareness when we're becoming more aware that does not equate to us becoming more judgmental (laughs) and a lot of times does right and so then we don't want to be aware because we're expecting this judgment the way we speak to ourselves is so cruel sometimes and so I think it's really important to understand like it's okay to be aware and not judge yourself and just accept your new awareness yeah so we talk a lot about judgment and how um it really is about like how I end up judging myself and how to overcome that but what I love that I found on um you had started to talk about is about judging others and I was like that's so interesting because so much of my time is spent on making sure that I don't judge myself and that I'm I'm working on if I'm judged, if other people are judging me, how to handle it. But mm. your post was on if you're judging other people. And so I want to read off a couple of other things that you actually said, eight reasons why we judge people. And this was super freaking powerful. And so I want to dive a bit deeper into this. So you, says we lack, you say we lack understanding. We deem something morally or ethically wrong we are triggered. That's a super interesting one. Um, we are feeling insecure. We are, um, we are so used to judging ourselves that we do it to others as well. Um, so let's talk about the triggered one, which I find super interesting. And then the fact that we do judge ourselves. And so we just project without even realizing that we're doing it to others. So let's talk about that and then how we can kind of unwind that. So the trigger piece, I think I find super fascinating. Um, And it's something we need to be very, very aware of. I think most of the time when we judge, we are triggered. We're either triggered because we've had a negative experience with someone doing something similar. And now we have equated this action equals bad person. Our brain loves to just generalize. And it's just not true. (laughs) A lot of the times it's just not true. And we make these really snap judgments as a means to, again, protect ourselves. And we have this pattern, especially if it's a pattern that we've noticed several times, like this action equals to this person being in the end, the wrong person or, or a bad person, or I get hurt. We're just going to jump to that conclusion. Let's say that you really want to drink soda and you've never drank soda and then you see someone drinking soda and you have these unfulfilled needs and desires and someone else is doing it what is your alternative to judgment there would have to be a lot of work to go hey there's a need that's not being fulfilled i'm too scared to do it or i've never given myself permission to do it or society's never given me permission to do it i really want to do it Yet there's someone out there living what I want to be living. And instead of saying this is a huge loss or I need to change and be more proactive, I go, how dare they? 
And it's an interesting way to kind of keep our status quo. And I think like sometimes we're triggered because we're not, we realize we're not living out the, our life in a way we want to be living it out. And there's so much more liberation or freedom or fun or fulfillment. And then we judge them for actually having something we want because we feel like we can't have it. Um, and we're not ready to do the actions to have it. And so then we sit on our high horse and we go, well, that's just not appropriate because it triggers parts of us, even our shadow self, perhaps, that we're not ready to face. Okay, yeah, that's so interesting that we go to judgment. Um, what, what is it? Like, is it like a biology thing? What does it like reflect on how we're living? And so if we're able to judge them and put it down, it makes us feel better about the life that we have. Yeah, I think so. I think oftentimes that's a big part of it. I think it's also um, alleviating some of our insecurities. I think that's a really, really big one. Um, and then we can't take out the equation of morality. Sometimes we genuinely judge because we feel like what the, what somebody is doing is morally or ethically wrong. Um, and whatever our moral compass is, that's getting violated. And so watching someone can also be a violation. You don't have to be the one to do it. And so this is kind of where moral injury comes comes in. And I think it's really fascinating. And so sometimes it plainly is like my values and your values are not aligned. And I am judging it because I don't understand it. And I think a lot of the times judgment comes from lack of understanding. It is really hard to judge someone when we understand and empathize with them. Even if you don't agree with them, when you have that intimate understanding, it's much harder to judge someone. So I think oftentimes we judge things we're not, we're scared of or don't fully understand. So would you suggest before you judge someone to um, do your research? Yeah. yeah. Do your research. I mean, first reflect, like, why would I be, are there any of those eight reasons yeah. <laughs> why I might be, you know, judging someone? Um, do I feel insecure when I watch them? Is there anything about it that I want? Is there something, um, a value that's not, that we don't see eye to eye? Okay, then, hmm, maybe I should do a bit more research. How can I understand this person? On what level can I connect with them? I mean, we're humans. I think we can always find a level to connect with one another. But I think sometimes we're not willing to, again, because it's often a threat. And we just want to step back. And I think judgment is a step back. It's not a step forward in that relationship. Agreed. Um, you actually said something earlier, which I'd never heard. Moral injury? What was, is yeah. that what you said? What's, yeah. um, what is moral injury? I mean, I kind of can you know, piece it together, but explain that to me. Um, and then how do we recognize when something is morally injured? Um, and how do we heal it? Wow, amazing. So moral injury is actually a topic of my dissertation. And I'm studying moral injury in the context of infidelity. Um, so perpetrators of infidelity. Yeah, it's very fascinating of how um, committing infidelity um, is experienced morally and existentially. And what are the consequences for the person who has committed infidelity? Um, and it goes along the lines of moral trauma. In summary, moral injury is a violation of moral beliefs or ethics, um, either by committing it or watching someone else do it. So you can also witness it. Or because this um, 
concept came from military can also be like not being able to prevent someone from doing it. So it was a military construct that's now being used in other contexts, which is really fascinating. Um, And so it's what happens to our worldview, what happens to our sense of self when our morality is violated. Very fascinating. Um, And you said how to heal it. This is a million dollar question that we're all working (laughs) on right now. Um, But a lot of it is, at least from my own research and from my own understanding, is um, going back inwards and either expanding your worldview where you can accommodate different things that you never thought you could accommodate, Um, reconnecting to yourself, forgiving yourself, Forgiveness is such a huge thing with moral injury. Um, Having that moment of like, you know, I'm a good person and I made a mistake and I'm going to forgive myself for the mistake and really differentiating that action from your sense of self. And I think that that's really important because morality is such a big part of the authenticity piece. So actually being able to do that is really incredibly difficult. So that's a very brief summary. I'm not sure that all made sense, but it's a lot of... um, it made complete sense. I am. I want to geek out with you about this, <laughs> like legitimately. As you were talking, I was thinking this. Like I, um, I am not religious, and so I've actually had discussions with people about. I've been called like they almost think I'm immoral because I don't have a specific belief system. And I'm like, but I do have a belief system. It's just not in a higher power. I have morals, I have beliefs, and so I broke those down on what my morals are. And in breaking them down, it was an interesting um, dynamic because I was almost feeling judged for saying what my morals are. And if they don't align with someone else's morals, then it becomes a, well, your morals aren't quote-unquote right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find that that happens often where people who are very strict and um, adamant about their morals end up being extremely judgmental on other people? Um, I think it can make someone less flexible, less open. The more you're so convinced that your way is the only way, regardless of what topic we're discussing, it can make us way less flexible and wanting to hear other people's perspectives. I also think with morality, we become so concerned about protecting it that sometimes we do become very, very um, intolerant. And that's a shame. And I think when it comes to moral injury, the cool thing about it is it's not about transgressing necessarily the shared morality. It's your own morality, whatever that is. So even if society says, hey, that was totally appropriate for you to do, if you don't think that was appropriate to do, you're still going to experience or potentially experience moral injury. It's because it's such a personal thing. And I think everyone has a sense of morality. It might just look very different. Yeah. And again, scared of things we don't understand and things that are different oftentimes that's so true I love that um I really want to talk about how us women specifically and look I don't want to ever be sexist but it seems like women do this way more than men um where we instinctually invalidate ourselves um Mm. and so I've seen a post that you've done and it was one of those I so wanted to talk about this because I bet you so many people do this and don't even realize they do it and that's what I freaking love about your list where it's like oh my god I didn't even consider that I was invalidating myself until you wrote it so again going back to why I freaking loved your content so much is it so 
tactical. Like if you're worried, people at home watching or listening right now, if you are worried, do I invalidate myself? Like go through this list and just say yes or no. So they are, um, we say to ourselves, it's not that bad. Stop worrying. You're being too sensitive. Chin up. You should feel grateful for. Just let it go. Um, it's not bothering anyone else. You're exaggerating. Calm down. So um, first of all, why do we invalidate ourselves? Um, what is that? And then how do we overcome that? So I think there's multiple reasons we invalidate. I think AIDS modeled behavior. Um, I also don't know if our society is always so open to us validating our emotions. If you're a woman and you are having a hard time about something, um, you will most likely be perceived as being, you know, too sensitive and being a typical woman. And there is something very incredibly well sexist and invalidating and hurtful about that. But then we internalize those messages and we go, well, the rest of the world won't accept this. So I'm not going to accept this. Um, we also, I think we see people around us try to make us feel better or try to make themselves feel better by using statements like this. <laughs> and I call it toxic positivity where it's like, well, we're just being so negative. Let's have a positive spin on things. It's like, no, <laughs> like you can have the negativity and acknowledge the positive. You don't need to replace it. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think we just need to go, you know what? Yes, this terror, you got fired, but let's be grateful that your kids are healthy. Wait, what? <laughs> right, yeah. Like, fantastic. So glad my kids are healthy, but what just happened to a really big milestone in my life that is incredibly painful. And so it's just, it doesn't make sense when you actually think about what we're doing, it doesn't make sense. And so I think we're not taught to go, I'm going to validate my pain, which re leads me to reason number two, which is when we validate, it becomes a lot more real and sometimes more painful. It's also nice and we feel understood and it can alleviate some of the pain, but actually going, you know what? I feel so much shame right now. That is also like, that is a self-awareness to the next level. And that's acceptance of what you're feeling. And that's not always easy. And so I think people don't want to really sit with the emotion, face the emotion, acknowledge the emotion. And this is why we use statements like that, because they don't require us to. They just go, okay, I'm just kind of gonna, it's kind of there, whatever, but I'm gonna march forward, which I love the resilience piece of it, but I don't think that we can actually march forward without understanding what just happened. Like we're going in blindly to some extent and we're really not addressing ourselves and what would that do to our relationship with us? Think about saying those sorts of comments to someone else, but if we do to ourselves, this, the same consequence will follow. That relationship, you won't feel heard or seen or validated. And that means that your relationship with yourself will be, grow more distant. And that's going to hurt. That's why I really loved the list because it was so interesting that a few of them I was like, yeah, I've said to myself before. And then a few of them I have said to other people. And I'm like, oh God, I really have never meant to invalidate someone by saying that. But it's like, I'm trying to make them feel better. And no. 
So it comes from a super genuine and authentic place, but it's not received like that. And I always have a problem with um, the difference between um, how I act and then how it's perceived. Because I always, you know, like if you've got a message, if you want to make someone feel better, you actually want to make them feel better. You don't want to end up saying something that's going to completely do the opposite. Yeah, but I love that you said that. Like, I want to make them feel better. And the question sometimes is why? And a lot of the times is because we cannot handle their pain. Like yes. we don't want to sit with their pain. We are triggered. We can't, most of the time we can't handle our own shit. So we can't handle theirs. And so it's really interesting because a lot of the times when we're trying to make pe people feel better, it's actually for us. 100%. As you and said that I was like, it's for me, I think. Yeah. And this is like an awareness piece of like, we don't need to tell them chin up. We don't need to wrap this up. Why are we doing it? They might not even be ready to wrap it up. And I feel like we're doing it because we no longer want to be in the presence of that emotion and we don't know how to interact with it. We're overwhelmed by it. And so we make statements. It's really a wonderful intention. And I don't think it's ever like ill intended, but I, I do think it can be quite harmful. And I think sometimes a more genuine interaction would be like, you know what, I see your pain, but I'm having a really hard time right now sitting with it. And it's really bringing up stuff for me. And so I don't think I can support you maybe in the way you need to be supported, but I want to let you know, I really love you. And I just can't, can't talk about this right now. Like sometimes that would be way better than saying chin up girl, it's going to be okay. Like what? <laughs> and you're so right. It's that we try to brush up, not meaning to like genuinely wanted to help people. But we end up not. And I remember it was funny. I guess it was just one of those moments that it happened and it just hit me hard. But I was watching a stand-up comedy and I can't remember who it was. And they basically said, never in the history of calm downness did anybody ever calm down when you told them to calm down. And it was just, it was in that moment because I used to say, just calm down. Like everything's okay, calm down. And in that moment, I was that person. And so what are you actually trying to convey? If you actually want someone to calm down, do not tell them to calm down. No, I think people will feel calm when they feel understood. And mm. I think that's an interesting alternative of like, people feel much calmer when they feel heard, <laughs> when they feel safe. Um, and I, I think that that's an important perspective to have. It's like, what can I offer them that will actually potentially help them calm down instead of just putting an expectation, which can make it worse because they're not in a place to calm down. And now you're saying, I expect you to calm down and regulate yourself. It's that now expectation of like, not only am I dealing with things, but now I'm letting you down. I'm somehow making you uncomfortable. And now you are imposing on me how I should be feeling and acting. And I just find it so, so inappropriate. And it really like, so I added it to the list because it's something I personally really do not like. That's so true. I love how you just broke that down. I think that, um, these types of tips, knowing how to act, knowing what to say in situations like that can really a, um, help the person, but also help your relationship. Because I find that sometimes it ends up splintering where you end up having these, I can't go to them, all they do is tell me to calm down. And it becomes this like, um, what's the word? Like almost like poison that isn't addressed, like a splinter. Yeah. It's true. And you just, it can, you know, cause, um, some distance in the relationship too. So we need to be careful how we speak to people because 
that that in their hardest times, sometimes we say the most insensitive things without meaning to. Um, and those are the times that people are vulnerable and it can create such amazing intimacy and connection, um, but it can also create an equal amount of distance. And so I think it's important for us to understand like, this is a sensitive thing. And even though I'm having a hard time regulating, I still need to really respect it. And if someone tells me I don't like to be told calm down, or I don't like to be told, like, it'll be better, listen to them. They don't like that. They don't find it soothing. It would be like you having a headache. And instead of me giving you Tylenol, I keep giving you gummy bears. You'd be like, no, Sarah, like I need Tylenol. And it's like, why don't we listen? Sometimes people will literally tell you what to do, what not to do. And we still won't do it. Yeah. One thing I've actually started to do um, is when things like this happen is to ask the person now, what do you need from me? How can I be there for you? Do you want me to just listen or do you want advice? And in that moment, like I've done this now, I do it with my husband all the time. I do it with my sister all the time. And it works like a freaking charm. Because if my sister, for instance, is really upset about something and she's talking, I say, hey, do you want me to listen or give you advice? She'll stop and she's like, huh. Well, I know what you're going to say. And I'm like, okay, so does that mean you just want me to listen? And she'd be like, yeah, I think I do. And I'm like, great, I'm here for you. And so I don't say calm down. I don't try and eliminate the emotion that she's feeling. I just open the space up so she can pour her emotion into it. But then when she, and I'm like, let me know when you're ready for me to give you feedback. And so that just opens her up that she's given me permission to give her feedback on what the situation is. It has worked so well. Um, yeah. I love that so much. And that goes back to our conversation about the hard truth. The person has to be ready. And so if they go, hey, I'm giving you permission to tell me the thing that I know I need to hear, um, that's fantastic. But us just throwing it in their face is very, very different. That's, again, alleviating our own discomfort with their decisions. Yeah. But I love that you do that. I think that's beautiful. Well, girl, I could talk to you forever off screen. I've got like 30 post-it notes and signs and subjects that we can talk about. But this has been so joyful for me. Um, I've learned so much. You've brought some new stuff to the table, which I freaking love. Um, I want to know, though, what you think your superpower is. Oh, my gosh. I would say adaptability. Um, I was going to say empathy, but I was like, I'm a therapist. That seems a bit too on the nose. <laughs> yeah. um, but the reason why I say that is I just travel so much and I spend a lot of my time between like four different continents, multiple different cultures. And I feel like I've learned to adapt through life and different contexts, the bad, the good. And then just, I just want to throw in the fun, like, and when I travel, I have to adapt all the time to different cultures, different languages, different food. And so I think that that's a pretty cool superpower that I can do that. <laughs> Hell Yes. Um, and where can people find you and all the amazing things that you're up to? Um, so I'm most active on my Instagram page, which is millennial.therapist. You can find me there. Uh, you can also find me on my website, which is just under my name, Sarah Kubrick. Um, and I'm going to be launching a existential life coaching platform next month. So in less than a week. Um, and that's going to be under um, millennial life coach. So it's going to serve people globally, which I'm really excited. It'll give me an opportunity to um, have more interaction with my followers on Instagram. That's awesome. We'll definitely make sure that we put the link in our show notes and get access to everybody for that. That's so incredible. Um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, guys, 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 this woman is freaking awesome. Go check out her Instagram page. When I say it is so damn tactical, it is so damn tactical. I went down a rabbit hole for like two hours earlier, just like like looking at all her stuff, learning, learning, learning. It is amazing. Go over, check her out. And guys, if this episode did bring you value, please, please do subscribe, share, like this video, comment below. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, please be the hero of your own life. Peace out. Bye.